0: You're listening to the A.G. Lockhart Podcast. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Matt Burton. Right, well, if you'll turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to continue in our series on the greatest of all time, which is love. And we just celebrated the happy Valentine's Day. Whether you planned ahead and got that all taken care of or whether you needed HEB to be open 10 more minutes to get there. My daughters told me they were so glad that Valentine's isn't just about my love for PJ, but also for them, so they've just jumped into the holiday also. But what a great thing to celebrate, love, and we know that that greatest love, that agape love, that, that love that only God gives, comes from God, and then it comes into us and changes us. Let's look at this prayer that we want to be praying for ourselves and for each other. Paul is praying for the church in Thessalonica. He says, night and day we pray most earnestly. That we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. I can't go by this verse without praying, Lord, supply what's lacking in our faith. Now may our God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus Christ, clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as our love does for you. Oh Lord, we ask you for our love to increase and overflow. Your love for us, our love for you. Your love in us for others and our love for others and their love for me and us. We ask for an increase and an overflowing, that it wouldn't be scarce in our life, but it would be abundant. Of all the things we search for, Lord, we're asking you for the increase and the overflow of love in our life. Then verse 13, it says, may he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So Paul is praying for the church where they are, on this day, praying for us where we are today, but it's with this hope and this looking forward to the future that Jesus will come again, and this love that God has for us and that we grow to have back for him and that we have for each other, that that love would grow in us so much that we'd be strengthened in our heart that we will survive, we will overcome, we will be there on that day when Jesus comes back. The Bible says, Many, their love will grow cold because of lawlessness, because things aren't going the way we think it should. Jesus said, you're blessed if you're not offended because of me. People will even be offended at God and his leadership. They won't understand the times they're living in or what's affecting their life. But Paul is praying. He said the antidote to that, to being offended even at God or each other, for your love growing cold, for brother betraying brother and father betraying son, the Bible says, will happen in these days ahead. The antidote, that help for that is love. The answer is love, that love would be so rooted in our heart that no matter what we see with our eyes, we're confident God loves us, we love God, and we love each other. And Paul is praying for love. You know, in a world like today, somebody might say, Lord, we need more money. We need more weapons. We need more barbecue that doesn't cost $59 for a family pack. I don't know what you might... It's interesting. What would you have prayed for the church even today? Lord, we need more of this. Paul, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, looking at that church of new believers in Thessalonica, looking at us into the future. Jesus at the right hand of God the Father right now interceding for us. You know what they're praying? God, the answer. Give it to them. Love. Not as the world gives. Oh, we talked about that last week. The world's love will end up empty. The people that love us the most, they just can't finally get to the end. There's something that breaks the camel's back. What is that, a straw that breaks the camel's back? There's something where it's like, oh, I loved you up until here, but you crossed the line. That was more than I could take. There's not more than God can take. In fact, he took it all and bore it. And Paul is praying, Lord, let that love not just be in them, but let it increase. Let it keep growing and let it overflow. Let there be so much of God's love in us that it just flows back to him. And so much of God's love in us that it flows out to others. Oh, this is a good prayer to pray for yourself and to pray for others. Go ahead, write it down. I'll let you cheat. This isn't science class at the high school. It's okay to copy notes in church. Write it down. So we're talking about the greatest love of all time. is described to us in 1 Corinthians, three things last forever, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of all time is love. If you're searching for anything in your life, search for God's love, pure love, holy love. I search for love. I used to sing sad Travis Tritt songs to the refrigerator in the house I lived in with four other guys after I was out of college. I would just walk up to the refrigerator Let's hold hands on the porch swing under the moon. Does it sound like him? If you want out of here before lunch, you better say that sounded real good. No, it's good. I didn't have the love of my life. Oh, I was searching for it. I didn't have it. I would just go sing to the refrigerator. Some of you sing it out of your truck with the window down. You sing that love song, and the love's not there yet. It wasn't there, but oh, she found me. Thank God. Well, I got married to PJ in 2000. We had a baby in 2001, 11 or 12 months after we got married. Don't be counting. And a couple years after that, I was celebrating Valentine's Day. I was coaching at the high school. Oh, it's a good story. You can go to sleep right now. I'll wake you up when you get back to the Bible. I went early in the day. I rented the back room at Garcia's Mexican restaurant when it was out there at the hotel on the end of town. Not the one, right? but same Garcia's, but rented the back room, filled it with flowers, stole my mom's table. I borrowed my mom's tablecloths and fancy glasses. I went in there. I set it all up. I didn't use their place. use my place. Got it all done. Took hours. Talked to the waitress. I said, my wife's going to come in here with my daughter. I said, every time you come and you say, what would you like to drink? Bring two roses. Lay them on her deal. Okay, you want water? You go back. You come back in. What would you like to order? Bring two more roses. This is good. You, should, you might want to wake up and take notes, fellas. All right. I had a couple dozen by the time they were done. I had my friend, Jeremy Rodriguez. I don't know if you've heard him sing, but that boy can sing. That's La Texas, born and bred, Jeremy Rodriguez. He was in the background playing the guitar when PJ walked in. Woo! I couldn't afford to marry mariachi, so I just had Jeremy. He was better. Man, I had everything. I was coaching, so I had one of my athletes, I said, at 5.30, you're going to go pick up PJ. You walk to the door and you say, Miss Burton, your ride is right here. I'm taking you to your dinner. <laughs> Good. Man, I'm sweating bullets. I'm wiping myself. I got everybody playing right Ever, PJ walks in. I'm at the door. Hey, PJ. I'm pointing. All I can think about is the plan. The plan. Is it all there? Or the can- Oh, I didn't tell you. I had candles everywhere. I had candles on the floor, candles on the table, those little, these big ones and whatever. Oh, man, pretty. You remember? <laughs> Don't look over there. Boy, you never get. All right. Hey, if you told somebody you're going to meet them at 1130 for lunch. I'm going to try to get you there. All right. PJ walks in. The thing I remember first about that day was I was so concerned that the plan went right that when PJ got there and I said, here's your table, PJ said, how do we look? How do we look? You know what it meant to me? That I had been so involved with the plan, the thing the plan was about was right in front of me, And when I took a minute to look, I was like, well, you look good. And then there's my one-and-a-half-year-old daughter. I said, oh, and baby girl, you look so good too. But what is interesting is on that Valentine's Day, which I had worked so hard and I think done a decent job at, I almost forgot what it was about in the busyness of the plan. And thank God for a wife who would say, how do we look? And, man, I got back to reality right there, and I looked at her, and I was like, Again, in awe that the Lord can brainwash a person like that to marry me. And I just said, baby, you look good. And you know what I learned on that day? I try to always say to my daughters and to my wife, you look good when I see them. I don't always do it, but I learned that day. What's the point, Matt? Well, the point is I love my wife and my daughters. The point is it's worth the effort. But the point of that story is that we can get so busy doing things for love that we forget the love or the one we love. And the Lord today wants to speak to us about that. If I had a title, it would be Love Unhindered. Love Unhindered. That's not a word I usually use, but it sounded good in a title. sounds better with an English accent. Love Unhindered. Maybe it doesn't. She asked me how... She looked. Because it doesn't matter how nice the dinner is and how nice the candles is, are if there's no love between the two people eating the dinner. It doesn't matter the roses you bring if your heart's somewhere else. It doesn't matter the song you sing if your heart's somewhere else. It's about love. And the Lord encourages us in that. In First Corinthians, he says, if I could speak every language in heaven and on earth, if I could... Speak prophecies and unknown mysteries, secrets of God's plans, and had all knowledge. If I had the faith it could move a mountain, I could speak to the mountain, I could tell illness to get out of your body, and it would leave. But if I didn't have love, all of that would be worthless. It would mean nothing. Look at the verse. It would mean nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and everybody celebrated, oh, my gosh, look at Matt's love. He gave it all for the people but I didn't have love, it would be nothing. How is heaven evaluating things when you could do all of that and it could mean nothing? You just, you just want to fly, you know, to Italy? You get off the plane and you know Italian. What's the matter with you? That's not Italian. You went to France and you could speak French, as the French say. You could look at somebody. I could tell you your future. I know what's going to happen to you. Don't do that. Don't turn right on 3 o'clock. You can look at a person in need and you say, I got all this money. I'm going to help you. How does heaven say all of that means nothing if you have love? What is love in that case? It's the greatest of all time. Jesus said it in another way like this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven. Okay, so not everybody's going to heaven, just the ones who do the will of the father. And then he says, many will say to me. We prophesied in your name. We drove out demons in your name. We performed miracles in your name. That sounds like the will of the Father. And Jesus said, I'll tell him plainly, I never knew you. It's like my wife saying, how do I look? These people will stand before the Lord and say, I did this, I did this, I did this. And he said, I don't know you. We don't have a relationship. Yeah, you set up the flowers, you got the guy playing the guitar, you have the candles lit, but if it's not about me and you, what's the point? Jesus would say, doesn't matter what you do in my name if we don't have a relationship. And before that sits on us and the accuser gets to tell us how bad we are, this is Jesus letting us know what's first priority, love. He said it this way, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you stay with me and I will stay with you, You're going to produce much fruit. You're going to cast out demons. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to prophesy, but it's going to be because we're connected, not because you work for me, not because you figured it out. It's going to be because we live in such a relationship that it flows out of me through you into the world, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said when he was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second was like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. At the end of his earthly life, after he had been crucified, resurrected, before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, teach them to obey my commands, and know this, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Last week, we talked about it briefly, but you can take those two verses and get these five things that love a life connected to God in love is going to look like these five things. Now, it's going to look different, but it's going to have worship in it. You're going to be loving God with all and worship is the songs we sing and the words we say and the actions that we do or don't do. Worship is our whole life. But it's also going to have ministry because the first commandment is to love God and the second is to love people. So we need to be serving people. If this love that Paul prayed for us is going to increase in us and it's going to overflow out of us, it's going to look like this. It's going to overflow in worship. It's going to overflow in service and loving others. It's going to overflow in evangelism. That's a church word for going and sharing and testifying what Jesus did. I just told you about how much I love my wife and an evening we had on a Valentine's dinner. That's testifying or evangelizing about that relationship. Talking about Jesus to other people doesn't mean you change their mind or change their heart. It means you're so full of the love of God, you're just telling them about it. You do that about normal things. I mean, if you live in Texas, it doesn't take long if you're a guy to find out, are they a Cowboys fan or do we need to pray for them? Or do we need to pray for the Cowboys, really, whatever. Bad example, but you know, I'm always stuck on it. You doesn't take long, you talk to somebody, you end up finding out, what do they do? How many kids do they have? Are they married? What's going on in their life? And you tell people about the stuff that's important in your life. That's what evangelism, you just go, you share, and you tell your story in the Lord. You encourage people. You sometimes correct them. That's discipleship. You, you, you're following Jesus, and you're teaching others to follow Jesus. You don't start with that. You start with getting to know people, but then this discipleship comes. People give their life to the Lord, and they're like, yes, I belong to God now. And then we help each other learn what that means. Oh, we, this is where Jesus is walking. He's walking in love, not in hate. He forgives his enemies and prays for them. He loves people. He's good to everybody, not just to his people. He walks this way and talks this way, and we teach others to do the same. And then there's that word, He said, baptize them, which means bring them into the family. In the months to come, people are going to come to this place and other places like it in Lockhart and Caldwell County. And they're going to sense the Lord doing something in their life. And they're going to say, I don't know the Lord and I need to know him. And they're going to pray and they're going to come to know the Lord. And then we're going to invite them in this church and other churches to be part of our church. You belong to us now. You're blood and kin to us. We're part of the same body. You need to be invited in. And I just want to tell you, at All Generations, as a leadership team, we're working on how to facilitate that better, how to get people plugged in and let them feel like they belong here and not just like, well, we just care if you love God, now move over because we got to fix the septic again. (laughs) Or move over because you're in the way, we're vacuuming. No, we want you to come in and feel part of the family. And I think we're pretty good at it, but I know we can get better. So these five things happen in your life. I, I, I want you to look at them. They come from those two verses, the great commandment and the great commission. And those five things need to be happening in your life. If you look and say, Lord, I, just, I don't even think about you till Sunday, then ask him, Lord, I want to worship you more. If you're having trouble loving your neighbor, uh, me, you say, Lord, I want to love my neighbor. Help me to want to love him. If you're having trouble sharing about your faith, then you ask the Lord, Lord, help me help me. The Lord wants to do it. And as Paul was praying that love would grow in our life and it would overflow in our life. And I'm just telling you, you can measure it a little bit with these five things. Now we're not measuring so you can go, oh, row two. Good job today. Row three. Come on. I need a little help, man. What's up with y'all? You didn't know it was church today. Row four. Great job. Row five. I'm giving you a five. It's like the Olympic judges over here. Row 10, 11, 12. Okay. It's like Southwest. We're boarding rows A through 13 right now. Group A. Then group B, oh, group C, y'all just signed up late for your ticket. Didn't even know you are going on a trip, did you? Get to board the plane last. We're not measuring that way like the world measures, but I want to know, am I living for God in the way that God wants me to be living for him? Am I saying to my wife, hey, you look good, and she's more important than the dinner. God's more important than just what I'm doing for him or what else is going on in my life. Is it making any sense? That means the Holy Spirit is helping you because... I'm having trouble even with English today. All right, CJ, you calm down. There is the ability to know all of the Bible and not know the Lord. Jesus said this, you honor me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. You search the scriptures because you think the words on the page give you life. But the scripture points to me. He was talking to the most religious, the most acting right people of his day. And he says, you're breaking God's commands with your own commands. You honor me with your mouth, but your heart is far away. That's the guy that shows up with roses on Valentine's Day, but everybody knows he's got side chick number one and side chick number two and side chick number three. And if that's you today, I'm just don't get loud, and, but we'll pray for you. And the Lord has redemption for your relationships. But who cares about a bunch of flowers if it's a mess in everything else? And Jesus said, "Who cares if you recite to me all of the laws and all of the rules and your ceremonial clean, but in this context he said, you won't even take care of your parents." These religious people were taking the money they had to honor their parents and take care of them in their old age and they were making it an offering to God. They had a special name for it. They would bring it to the temple and they would go, "This belongs to God." And their parents would go, "Can you help us in our old age?" They say, "I'm sorry." Gave all my money to the Lord. And the Lord goes, y'all don't even know me. You're supposed to honor your mother and your father. You don't bring me a gift so you can dishonor them. They would bring the gift because guess what? Somebody saw them bring a whole bunch of money to the church. Oh, look at brother so-and-so. Just gave all that money to the church. Bought a new wing. Made the new nursery. Oh, so holy. And the Lord's like, no, that guy's not even taking care of his mom and dad. Not even doing the little things. Not even following the, the commandment. You don't know my heart. If you think you can repurpose the thing that was supposed to care for a person and then give it to me and think I like that, I'm not like that. The Lord said, oh, you got such good talk, but your heart's so far from me. You make up your own rules. You read the Bible, you can quote scripture, but I'm standing here, Jesus would say, the living word, and you want to kill me. You don't even know me. And I say to the Lord, Lord, if those guys can mess it up, then surely I know how to mess it up. Would you help me? Would you let Paul's prayer be active in my life so that love would grow and increase in me and and abound in me so that I would be overflowing with love and I wouldn't be doing the wrong thing thinking I'm doing the right thing. Anybody else have that prayer? Oh, that's a great prayer because Paul's praying it for you and Jesus is praying it for you and God's heart is for that. Oh, don't you just get frustrated though? You're like, oh, I try my best and I just blow it. I wanted to say the right thing and I said the wrong thing. You know why they make garages? So men can go in there and understand the world. This is not your inheritance, but this is what's happening because the attacks on marriages and families. You walk into the house as a guy. And everything's going like, you try to say, I love you. They think you say that you hated them. You tried to clean up. You made a bigger mess. You try to, you're like, I'm going out in the garage because I understand that. That's a lawnmower. That's the dog. And if he doesn't move, he's going to get kicked. That's oil. That's a chainsaw. Or maybe I'll just start that thing up. I'm being stereotyping and whatever because I don't know how to use chainsaws. But we run away from the thing because we feel like we're just making it worse. We do that with the Lord. I want to love God with all my heart. Paul said, I want to do this and I do the wrong thing. I want to not do that thing and then I do it. The thing I don't want to do, I do. The thing I do want to do, I don't do. What's wrong with me? Who can help me? And then he says, praise God, Jesus can help me. So in our relationships with the Lord and with each other, When love increases and overflows, it starts fixing the things that we're inadequate at. Where our love stops, God's love keeps going. Where our love fails, his love never fails. Where our love is impatient, his love is patient. Where our love is unkind, his love is kind. Where our love is keeping track of wrongs, like, oh, that's going to cost you. His love is forgiving, and his love is healing, and his love is mending. So we want this love to abound in our life. So... Love unhindered. Let's just talk for the next few minutes about things that get in the way of love. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let's run with endurance the race God set before us. So let's take off what's hindering our love and let's run in real love with God and in this earth. And He says we do this by looking at Jesus. He's the author, He's the champion. He makes us perfected in our faith. And his example is that he was looking ahead at what God's purpose and joy was, and so he could endure what he was going through right now. We want to get rid of what's hindering love. I want to love God more, and if you can tell me the five things in my life that are keeping me from loving God more, that's going to help me. And I think the scripture will point out a few of those today. We may not get to five, but we'll get to a few. Things that hinder love. You just look at real human relationships, and they'll help you understand that. But one of the things that hinders love is that we don't have a right vision for our life. We're not even sure where we're headed. That's why it's great to be connected to a a local church and be doing life with other Christians because you learn from them, and iron sharpens iron, and they carry your burdens, and you carry theirs. I want to approach this in just the next few minutes. From the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. It's a poetic way. You could say romantic language or, or poetic, like a songwriter explaining love. Don't you have a favorite love song? You're like, man, I could have wrote that. No, you couldn't have. That guy wrote it. You could probably write a better one. This romantic language, I'm just going to give it to you, and then we'll talk right there. This is Song of Solomon. The woman is saying to the man, or in the spiritual realm, the church is saying to Jesus. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Your love's more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance from your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let's hurry. Let me, let the king bring me into his chambers. This is a song. This is a, an artist speaking He's saying, let him, the woman's saying, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. This is Jesus saying, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from my mouth. This is a poetic way to say we need the word of God. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth is a romantic, a ro- I want to say a romance movie. Uh, what is that, Lifetime? Or what's the ones that come, Hallmark? That's just... Song of songs. Church leaders for the last 3,000 years have told people, look at this song in the relationship between you and Jesus, between the church and God, between the bride and the bridegroom. We live in such a highly sexualized culture that we see kisses and we're like, can you say that at church? Well, I'm just reading the Bible. But what does it mean that Jesus, I'm going to go, Jesus, right here on the cheek. No, it means the word of God is the intimacy. It's the heart connection. It's how I keep from being working for God and, not, and loving him instead. Not just being a slave to him, but a friend to him. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. This lady in this psalm, it's called the beloved, she has a vision for her life. I want the word of God. Peter said it very unromantic. He said, where else can we go? You have the words of life. It means the same thing. It doesn't matter if you're romantic or not, if it's poetic or not, but I want to use this scripture to help us. We don't love right sometimes because we don't have a vision for it. We think we're going to love God without being connected to his word. It's not going to happen. We're going to give God an hour for church and in 167 other hours of the week, something else. It's not going to happen. She has a vision for her life. You and I, the church, we need to have a vision for our life. I want Your word, and not just your word, I want it to touch me at the heart level. At the heart level. That's why they use the romantic language. I remember that first kiss with PJ. I looked at her. Cool. I said, I'm about to kiss you. Well, you better give a warning, man. You don't know what's going to happen. She looked at me with that gleam in her eye, and she goes, I think I'm going to throw up. True story. Bro, I'm from Lockhart. That did not stop me. I kissed that girl. I think I'm going to kiss you. Lord, I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. I don't want to just listen to Matt talk about the Bible. I want to know the Bible. I want the Word of God. I want to read it and go, oh, my goodness, he loves me. I want it to impact my heart, not emotionalism, but who wants a love affair that has no love in it? Who wants a relationship that's just like, just doing my duty, ma'am? Here's your flowers. Here's the rent. See you in a little while. Or, or the, or the lady. Here's your dinner. Here's all your kids. Here's your clean socks. I know you're not going to wear them anyway. Kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. She's got a vision for her life. Your love is more delightful than wine. I was reading a a Bible study on this. There's the wine of the world that intoxicates us. It's fake love, and it, it makes us think it's what we need. And she goes, your love's better than that. Jesus. But then there's also this wine that's shared between uh, the wedding at the wedding, the the wine at the wedding feast. And that's a good kind of love, but but it's, it's good relationships. But she's saying, Jesus, your love is even better than the good things about church and the good things about life. Your love's even better. It's better than wine. Pleasing are your fragrances. She's close enough to him to smell him. But it also talks about his personality. The fragrance of Jesus spiritually means what he's like. I don't just know Jesus is good. I know that he's patient and that he's kind and that he loves me. She has a vision for her life to be close enough to Jesus to smell what he's like, to understand him. No wonder the young women love you. Now, in our world, that just starts sounding all crazy. She's saying, no wonder the people of God follow you. And I've seen them follow you. You're so wonderful. Why wouldn't they follow you? Can I be in the group too? And then she makes it personal, not just in the group. Would you take me into your chambers? Would you take me like your son and put me on your, could I ride in the truck with you, dad? Could I drive the tractor with you, dad? Or the daughter would say, can we get our, like in physical, we'd be like, mom, can I go get our, can we get our nails done? Mom, can we go shopping together? Mom, could we? I'm sorry if, I'm using examples and then I'm stereotyping. All men drive tractors and all women get their nails done. Let's pray take me away with you and let's hurry, she says. Oh, I want to be like that. I'm like this. God says, hey, Matt, let's do this. I'm like, oh, well, let's check the agenda. Oh, I got time next Tuesday, Lord. No, she's got a vision for her life. I want the word of God active in my heart. I want to be close enough to Jesus. I know what he's like. I know what he, it's like that movie Hoosiers. Y'all saw that movie? Some of you young people. Anyway, it's a good movie. The coach goes, hey, I want you to guard that guy so tight, you know what? Chewing gum, he's chewing. You remember that? Remember that, Nick? Yeah, and he comes back, he's like, Coach, spearmint. Oh, man, someone's trying to be like, how close to Jesus can I get away from him and still be, like, with him? Like, can Jesus be over there and i be over here? And he, she's got a vision for her life. Some people, their love is hindered because they don't have a vision of closeness to God. That's for the preacher, that's for the deacon, that's for my grandma, that's not for me. That's a lie. Jesus didn't come to earth to save your grandma so you could sneak in the back door of heaven. Jesus came to earth for you, for you, for you, to love you and to be close to you and that he could give you all of him and he could have all of you. Let's have a vision for our life. Some things that hinder love is having a wrong vision. You are the most sought after in the kingdom of God. And God loves you, it says in John, as much as he loves Jesus. With the same love the Father has loved me, Jesus said, I love you. Man, I don't know who you are, but you're somebody if God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. That's who you are. Some of you right now, you just checked out. That cannot be true. It's of scripture John read from 13 to 17. In, in the book of John, Jesus at the Last Supper, he said it. But we've been so conditioned to have a lesser vision for our life. Love gets hindered by a lack of vision. Here's the next few verses in the Song of Songs. It says, dark I am, but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, I'm dark like the tents of Kedar. I'm like the tent curtains of Solomon. We sometimes have love hindered in our life because we don't think we measure up. And because our love is small, we think it's not valuable to the Lord. Because it's immature, we think God doesn't value it. She's saying, I'm dark, which means my heart is still filled with some things that it doesn't need to be filled with. Have you run into that lately? Anger came out of you and you're like, man, I didn't even know that was in there. Impatience came out of you. Greed came out of you. Lust came out. You're like, I thought I was over that. There are still some dark places in our heart okay, not you, just me. I hope you're praying for me. Harder, longer. She says, I am not everything I need to be, but you still think I'm lovely. It's a tension. We have to hold these two truths in tension with each other. I'm not perfect, but God loves me. He's not done with me, but he's still in it with me. I'm not everything I was meant to be, but he's going to perfect me. We are not earning our way to God's love. He already loves us. And one pastor said, the closer you get to God, the more you're going to see the darkness of your heart. And if you can't see the darkness of your heart in the knowledge that God still loves you, you'll be like Adam and Eve and you'll run away from God instead of to God. You'll just be walking one day and words will come out of your mouth. You're like, oh my, you can't say that and be a Christian. I didn't even know that was in me. And if you don't know God still loves you, then you'll check out. I got to go do three years of just wandering in the desert without the Lord because I just acted like that. No. David said he delivers me because he delights in me. You've got to know that you are in need of a savior. You cannot save yourself. You're better than a lot of people, but you're nowhere near who Jesus was and who God is. But you are so loved. Even in that condition that Jesus would spill his blood as a payment to buy you back into his family. I must adopt that child into my family. How much does it cost? All your life. I will give it gladly. And someone would look and go, you'll do that for that person? And Jesus would go, oh, you don't even know how much I love that person. I'm dark like the tents of Qadar. These are tents that are out in the desert with the sheep herders and whatever, and the winds blow, and the sand hits them, and they used to be white. Now they're the color of, like, my T-shirts, maybe, or, you know, they, they used to be white. And you're like, what kind of white is that? It's kind of like off-white, gray-white, dirty-white, armpit-white. Oh, it's good. Thanks. You just had to go there. She's looking at these tents, and she's like, I'm like that, dirty, stained. There's been some trouble over here, and some work, and some life has hit me. She goes, but you know what I'm also like? I'm like the tents in Solomon's temple. I'm like the curtains in Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple, look up the curtains, one of a kind, money that you couldn't afford to have these curtains in your house. She's like, I'm like the tents. I got some issues. I'm like the curtains. God's purified me. I am like a sheep gone astray. I've been found by the shepherd. You're like, how can those two things exist together? They can because it's just like a coin, has a heads and a tails, same coin, all right? She understands and she's growing to understand that even though I feel unlovable, God loves me. And what that's gonna do for her, the bride, for us, when we go, Lord, I'm a mess, I'm the preacher, and no, I ain't gonna tell you. (laughs) You're like, oh, he was about to tell me about last week. I'm the pastor, and I still think like this. I still get upset like this. I still fail like this. How can that be? And the Lord goes, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I'm changing you. And we feel like in our world I have to be perfect before. Somebody told you this week, you invite them to church, you're like, man, I got to get my stuff together before I go into that church. I'll burn up at the door. That's a wrong understanding. This is the understanding we want. That even though our love is weak, it's still real. Even though it hasn't matured yet, it's still valuable to God. How do we know it's valuable to God? Because he says to the bride, I liken you, my darling, to the mare on the Pharaoh's chariots and horses. Now, don't say this to your lady from Texas. You're like a horse, baby girl. Pharaoh had these horses, so well-trained, and these armies, like no one went up against them. And then he had those horses. You've seen them, like, man, they, they do these tricks, and they on command, and they walk the right way, and they look, they're so well-bred and done, like you can't even afford Like, Pharaoh was famous for that. And he says, you know what I see in you? Because this is another way we think we can't do anything. We don't matter. This hinders love. We think we don't matter. He says, no, you're like the most expensive chariot horse. You're like the horse that Pharaoh has, the strength that pulls his chariot, that makes his army undefeated, that makes him kings come from the earth to see, and he takes them out to his stables. and goes, well, this is my stable. These are my horses. This is my army. And we feel like we don't matter to God because we're like, what am I going to do? We don't go witness because who's going to listen to us? We don't lean into God because we can't understand the Bible. We feel all these things. They're like, no, you're not like that. You're like the the best horse. Your cheeks are beautiful. The cheeks are like our emotions. You can sometimes see your emotions on your cheek, you know? Like if I look at PJ too long, my whole head gets red. It goes past my cheeks because I don't have any hair to stop it. He's saying, no, you think your emotions are like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I just lose my mind or whatever. And he goes, no, I see your heart. You want me. You want to be right. You don't want to act like that. You have a yes to me. I see it. You're beautiful to me. I see you with earrings and your neck with strings of jewels. So he's, he's talking in the physical about spiritual beauty. You know where the neck's important? You ever heard somebody go, that's a stiff-necked person. God said in the Bible, these stiff, stiff-necked people, God's looking at this girl. He's looking at you. He's looking at the bride, and he's saying, you have a willing spirit. You don't have a stiff neck. You have a beautiful neck. You'll bow your neck to me. You'll say, not my will, Lord, but your will. I see it in you. And then I hear us answering like, Lord, you know the 10 things I did just on Monday. And he goes, no, but I see in your heart. You don't want to do them. You're still struggling. But I know you want to live for me. I know you're chasing after me. Your neck is like got pearls on it. And he says, in your earrings. And then he says, and I'll make you earrings of gold. Not only do you already look beautiful, I'm going to make you more beautiful. Now, this is hard. So, maybe I just need to say, like, if the Lord was talking to guys like me, like, I like your shirt, and I'm going to get you a Carhartt jacket to go with it. That didn't work. I like your shoes, I'm going to get you some Stacey Adams. No, I don't have all the good examples. It's a physical example of a spiritual thing. We get hindered in love because we think, what does it matter? Let me give you this example. I don't need to go to church today because they won't even know if I'm gone. I don't need to go to church today because, like, everybody sings to the Lord. He won't even notice if I'm not singing. I, I don't need to read my Bible because I'm not going to understand it anyway. We, we have these things that hinder our love. We start saying lies about ourselves, and the Lord goes, no, you're strong like a horse. You're, you're beautiful like a, a girl with pearls on. You're not like that. What does it matter if you don't go to church? There's only your voice that can sing to the Lord. I told you it'd be a few minutes, and I'm a few minutes late, but let me just finish with a couple of things. Our love gets hindered because we think it's weak, and so we don't try. We run away from God instead of to God. I went to a church with my brother-in-law one time. We were visiting in Rockwall, and it was a long trip, and I got a lot of kids. It takes a lot to get them to church, and then it's a new church, so like, are they going to like children's church? Are they going to like nursery? They have like three services. There's a billion people at this church. Not quite, like half a billion, and, and it's just hard, and it's easy to go uh, let's just don't go to church. We're up here on vacation. Just, let's just go eat with our family. Uh, it would be family time. Well, we go to church. We get everybody in. We get our kids settled. We sit on the back row. They finish worship, and the pastor has everybody's head bowed. They're about to take the offering. he goes, I just need to talk to somebody. He said, there's somebody here, and he starts describing me. You're struggling. You feel like you keep failing the Lord. You say you should be further along in your life than you are. People think you're doing great. You're not doing so great. I just want to encourage you, he said. We all have our heads bowed. It's like three times the length of this auditorium. I'm in the back um, just because that's where we sit, and so I can get out and get my kids if they start overthrowing the nursery or whatever they're going to do. And he starts describing me, and he goes, if that's you, raise your hand. The Lord just wants to bless you. And he's talking about my life. And in my mind, I went, I don't need to raise my hand. It's me, Lord, you got me. Whatever you're going to do, do it. I need some help. I'm just dejected, depressed, disappointed in myself. I was like the dark, but I didn't feel the lovely part of those verses before. And the guy goes, I'm just going to wait. I don't, I don't know what it is. He said, I don't normally do this. I don't normally wait. I don't normally, this is not what we normally do, but I just feel the Lord wants to help somebody. Man, I remember, it was a moment of dis- That doesn't sound like anything, does it? Like That's not a big deal. I just went like this. He goes, I see you. And he said, I want you to know. And then he started just talking to me and praying for me. And he said, the Lord's going to show you what he wants you to do. That's all he said. The Lord's going to show you what he wants you to do. Yesterday, I said, Lord, you told me you were going to show me what you do. This was 10 years ago. I said, Lord, you told me you're going to show me what you want me to do. And I believe you. So please show me. And I'm real not smart. So make it real obvious. What if that pastor wouldn't have gone to church that day? What if I wouldn't have gone to church today? What if I wouldn't have been there? What if I wouldn't have raised my hand? I don't know what if, but I know I went, and I know he was there, and I know he talked, and I know I raised my hand, and I know the Lord's going to tell me what he wants me to do. And you say, eh, we sometimes say, what does it matter, my love for God? It's so weak, it won't do anything. Somebody came here today, they need to hear what you got to say. You have a message in you that I don't have that somebody needs to hear today. That's why the devil didn't want you to come to church today. That's why he doesn't want you plugged in. You have God in you. You're like a strong horse pulling a chariot. You're like a beautiful adorned woman with gifts to give people and experience and things. that. Come. What if you didn't come today? Well, we don't know what we would have missed out on if you hadn't come today. And you feel not plugged in and you feel like, well, I'm not going to love God. What's the point? Because I'm just from wherever. I can't even talk right, act right, do right, whatever. And the Lord goes, no, no, inside of you is the strength that's going to help somebody's life. And so you need to be plugged in. So these things hinder our love. And the Lord wants us to know we need to have the right concept. We need to have a vision for our life that even though we're dark, we're still lovely. She says at the end, the love of God has so convinced her who she is. She says, I'm a rose to you. I'm like a lily to you. The bride to the bridegroom. She's dark. She's dirty like tents. She thinks she's the mule, not the horse. And she goes, no, no, no. Your love has convinced me. I'm a rose. I'm not that little 10 cent flower that you just picked out of the neighbor's yard and handed to me. I'm the long stemmed rose. I'm the lily. And then she says, and you're mine. And I'm yours. She gets overwhelmed by love. Now, listen, this is all poetic language, but it's it's also like this. Instead of telling you you're a horse and you got pearls on your neck, I could say you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's not poetic language, that's just language that God's your strength. Instead of saying, Kiss me with the kisses of your mouth, I can say the word of God's like a seed and it gets planted into your heart and it grows fruit and it produces a hundred times more. And even the birds come and eat from the fruit that's produced from the seed that went in your life. Or I could say, like John the Baptist. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. Not John the Baptist, John the disciple. He would lean back on Jesus' lap, and he wouldn't call himself John. He'd say, I'm the one Jesus loves. And she's saying, I'm a rose. He's saying, Jesus loves me. She's saying, I'm my beloved. Peter's saying, I'll follow you anywhere. This is the vision we want for our life. So as we close today, you can take this, and you can apply it to your life. When you wake up tomorrow, and you look in the mirror, and you just go, you're just the biggest mess. Don't say that. Say, I'm my beloved's and he's mine. When you say, what does it even matter what I'm doing? You say, the Lord's putting in me a strength of a horse or I got horsepower. You know what would have been better if I'd have looked up what those Hemi engines have in a Ram truck and used that as an example instead of Pharaoh's horse. Say the things God says about yourself and then say, Lord, I want to believe it. Well, let's just do that as we dismiss. And I apologize. I apologize. I thought I was going to get y'all out in time to beat everybody to Garcia's to see that little room back there where I had a date for my wife. Would you stand? I just want to pray for you. How can we put this into practice? Well, there's a lot, and I said a lot, and I appreciate your patience. But here's what you do. Just with your head bowed, let's practice this. That thing you don't like about yourself. I always talk too much. I always say something dumb. Oh, I don't even know how to hang out with the guys. I'm not pretty like she is. That thing, just say this. Hey, Lord, I believe you. You made me beautiful in your sight. Lord, you made me strong in your sight. Lord, I feel weak, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you just ought to start whispering this right after me. I don't feel lovable, Lord, but you love me. I don't feel lovable, but you love me. She said, I'm a rose. But God said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. These things hinder love and they make us shrink back and they make us get an inheritance that's not ours. We live with the wrong mindset. We live with the wrong value system. We live with the wrong understanding that even though we're not already perfected into the image of Christ, God can still love us and we are dearly loved. And we want that to soak into us where we can say, I am his and he is mine. So I'm just going to pray for you. There's a couple of people in here. You've been away from the Lord a long time. You have a track record and a list that you could hold up and you could point to. In the neighborhood, they called it a rap sheet. It's keeping you from knowing how much God loves you and it's keeping you from being who he made you to be. And I just want to tell you, you're not defined by your mistakes. You're defined by what the Father, the Creator, says of you. And he says he loves you and that he made you for good works and he made you for a purpose and that he can redeem anything. And he says, come back to him. If you've been away from the Lord, today's the day to come back to him. Don't get yourself together. God's going to get you together. But if you've been away from the Lord, when we dismiss, if you need prayer, come see me. Just like I finally raised my hand and that guy said, I knew it was you. I want to pray with you after I dismiss everybody else. There's somebody, you've been away from the Lord a long time. Somebody convinced you to come today. You didn't even, it's been a little uncomfortable. No matter how awesome my preaching style is, joke. It's been a little hard. And I just want to tell you, come see me. I have a few things to say to you. Just come tell me. I've been away. I want to come back. Somebody's going to walk out of here. You got tempted to walk out and say, no, I don't need to talk to him. I know the Lord's working. I want you to come see me. Let's pray together. The rest of us, let's start confessing what the Lord says about us. We're his dearly loved children. We belong to him. We're who he made us to be. We're the rose. We're the lily. We're dark, but we're lovely. Father, thank you. You see more than we can see. We believe that you love us. Show us more. Convince us more. Win us over with your love. We are yours. And you are ours. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information about All Generations Church, go to aglockhart.org.